Welcome to Steam Powered, where I have conversations with women in Steam to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Kira Deneen, a genetic counsellor and podcaster who is passionate about science communication. Through her main show, DNA Today, Kira makes information about genetic technology, disorders, and news accessible to the world. Join us as we speak about Kira's journey to genetics, genetic counselling, and what we can and can't learn from DNA testing kits. So good morning, Kira. Thank you for joining me today on Steampart. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today about your journey to genetics and all the awesome work that you do. Yes, thank you so much for having me on, Michelle. And I have to just start by complimenting your accent. I'm just, you know, a sucker for for lots of types of accents, but uh, <gasps> I just love yours. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, mine's a bit of a mix, actually. My, um, I keep getting told that I've got this very American R. I, I do have this strong rotic R thing happening that ha- huh. yeah happens periodically. So a little bit of Aussie. I'll, I'll pay attention Brit, to it during the episode. American. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Yeah, you probably hear it. It just comes up. Great. So genetics, like that's what you started out in when you studied, but what drew you to the field? Yeah. So I always found genetics to just be intriguing. I think when I started learning about it in middle school, high school, I was like, this just seems to be such an interesting area. And my teachers, you know, I'd ask all these questions, whatever. And they're like, a lot of the answers were, we don't know yet. And I found that to be so exciting because I'm like, wow, there's so much we still need to learn in genetics. If I go into this, there's just constantly going to be new information. I'm never going to be bored by genetics. Um, So I think that was one aspect to it that I just knew that there was just so much. Like even something I remember being told in high school, that there's something called junk DNA. That's not Mm -hmm. a thing anymore. We don't call that (laughs) junk DNA. So, you know, and I graduated high school in 2013. So, you know, we're about 10 years later now. So it's just so interesting, you know, just in that 10 years, things I was taught was like, oh, that's that's inaccurate now, right? Like Pluto's not a planet kind of thing. Um, so I think <laughs> that blowing. to me, yeah, it's just really exciting. Um, and I knew I wanted to be in a field that constantly had new information, new updates, and just it's thrilling to be a part of that. That is very cool. Is it... Like, is it just about genetics or is it all science altogether? Is it some is science something that you were particularly, you know, had an affinity for? Or was it just when genetics came up that it just went, Oh my god, this is you know, it just blows my mind, this is a thing? Yeah, definitely genetics was like my sweet spot, but I think biology in general I loved. Um so yeah. I I didn't as much love chemistry like that side of science because I wasn't good at it I thought it was cool and I'm like this is really hard I'm not so great at math (laughs) so that was not my strong suit yeah so I always just found like biology be interesting like my freshman year in college um I I had taken AP bio in high school sort of skipped that once I got to college and so I started with cell biology and like molecular biology Um, because that's actually what I started majoring in and then switched to Mm -hmm. genetics once I found out my college actually offered that so um, yeah so and and I I told uh, I told my college I was like we my specific genetics program like y'all gotta do better at advertising because I had no idea it existed until I was already (laughs) at the school like I was looking for colleges that had genetic programs and I went to the University of Connecticut which I absolutely loved and so when I was going there, I was like, well, I can major in molecular cell bio that's in 
take a lot of genetics classes. I'm like, all right, that's good enough. Um, but then I discovered, oh, there actually is a genetics program. Um, yep. So I, I joke about that with uh, my mentors there. But um, yeah, it was just, I think it's just so interesting, like all angles of, of biology in that way. So when you did that course, where did you think you were going to go with that as a career? So in high school, I definitely considered a couple different courses um, in terms of like, you know, where I was going to go in my career in life. Um, there was a short time period I considered being a PA. I was like, I'm pretty good with just bodily fluids, different things like that. I'm like, uh, you know, maybe I'll do okay in that role. Um, I also considered going into like neuroscience because I think the brain is just so interesting. Another area where we have so much to learn in that space. Mm -hmm. um, but I just kept coming back to genetics. And for me, I was like, I don't know if I picture myself in a lab. And that's a lot of what I saw when I thought about as a high schooler, like I was like, well, if I want to go into genetics, does that mean I'm doing genetic research? Like, is that the only career option? That's a really fascinating area. But I was like, I don't know. I'm such a communications person, clearly, as I like podcasting. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't think that's enough talking for me. That That's too much alone <laughs> time for me, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then I discovered genetic counseling. And I was like, ah, here we go. I can educate people about genetics and be on mm -hmm. top of the field and learning about all these advancements. And so that I was like, OK, now this is clicking. This makes sense as a career for me. And so I think it's tough to learn about all the different careers in sciences, right, in, in yeah. STEAM, as you cover on this show, because it's like you hear about the ones, you know, you see in the media, but it's like I really so want to be able to see even more. Yeah, it's like a lot of people that are applying into the genetic counseling field learned about it in college when it was like it would have really behooved them to learn about it sooner so they could have mm. tailored their college experience to preparing to apply to Chant counseling grad schools. So yeah. I think that's, you know, something that that's my soapbox of like, check out genetic counseling and see if that's a fit for you. Maybe it's not. Maybe you like the lab better. Um, and, you know, everyone has their place that they uh, excel in and feel more comfortable in. Um, but that was kind of my my track of of you know, figuring out. So I was like pretty sure I wanted to be a genetic counselor once I was then enrolling at college. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as you said, it's just one of those things where because there's so many subfields and specializations in all of STEAM, like when you're at school, they just go biochem, you know, it, it's so broad. What, how do you narrow it down? But then if you narrow it down too much, you know, that's, that's too focused and everyone isn't going to understand what the full scope of all of it is. But how do you get the full scope of all of it? it? It's, yeah, it's a chicken and egg problem. And it's so problematic it because so many people will go, oh, but I don't like bio. And then, but do you like this sort of things? Like that's still bio. It's just a different part of bio. Right. Like plant biology. Interesting. But I don't, <laughs> I don't know too much about it. I don't know how good I would be at, at, you know, that side of biology. Yeah. But I'm really good at genetics. That's a part of biology. <laughs> so as you said, it's like there's all these little niches within these spaces. And I think that's why shadowing is so important. Mm. And I think it, it's challenging in today's day and age, I think, especially with COVID restrictions. But it's great if you're able to go because even if you shadow and you're done with that day and, and seeing that person in that role and, and you say to yourself, I do not want to do that job. That's valuable information. It it's is. It's not just like, oh, I found a job that I really want to do. It's also good to like count out 
I don't think that's going to be good for me because it's much yeah. better to spend a day shadowing someone or a week or a month, whatever it is, and say, I don't want to do that. Then go through a whole program. And now you have a degree where you're maybe boxed in, depending on what mm. kind of degree that is. Um, I, I find it just so valuable. Or, or even if you don't have the opportunity to shadow of, of people being able to talk and interview people in these roles, even just listening to podcasts like yours and learning from people that way. Um, or just doing a quick like Zoom call or if someone's local to you, like, hey, can I buy you a coffee and just like ask you about your job for a half hour? Exactly. Um, you know, I, I found that was very helpful to me, high school and college to really figure out even for myself, like, OK, as a genetic counselor, what do I want to do within that field? Right. So every step you take, you're like, OK, that's one step closer. But like there's lots of different areas that genetic counselors work in within healthcare. So it's like even that. OK, that's a that's a choice. <laughs> But then you're like, okay, what's the next step? Like, what, what do I specialize in? Exactly. It's almost as though you need like a specialist speed dating service where you just say, right, yes. 15 minutes, break it down for me. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Michelle, maybe we need to create that. Some kind of like speed, <laughs> speed career dating, speed career matching, something like that. <laughs> I know. It really is. Like here's, here's a 15 minute primer of, you know, this kind of thing that I do. Is this something of interest to you? It's like, no. But the thing that you mentioned right here, could I talk to someone who does that thing? Right. Like, oh, when you said you send patients to this or you read research papers of people doing that, get, give me a person that does that so I can like explore it. Yeah. Yeah. Like work the networking. Yeah. I know. Absolutely. That's a thing that I think we should do these days. There's just so much now and it's so hard to be able to pin down, you know, what you'd like and, you know, colleges and universities, they pin you down to a specialization. It's like, yeah, but the thing that I do now is, is that going to be what I do when I get out? And it's not always the case. Like what I do wasn't taught at uni. And a lot of people I know who are specialists in their field didn't study that specifically or didn't know it existed when they first started. So, yeah, or it definitely didn't exist. An option. When they first yeah, started writing, like they're exist. the ones absolutely. that found it or something or invented it. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Backtracking a bit. What is genetic counseling? <laughs> yes. I was going to say, I've been throwing out this term and I'm not defining my terms here. Yeah. So a genetic counselor is a healthcare provider that helps people understand how genetics affects their health. So it's a very broad definition that I use, but this can be applied to lots of areas, as I mentioned. So I work in prenatal. So I work with pregnant people and people looking to become pregnant, talk about the genetics of their future or current pregnancy, go through family history, talk about any conditions that I'd be you know, suspicious for, it's on my radar that their baby could have. There's other genetic counselors that work in cardiac, neuro, pediatric, cancer. I mean, so many different areas. Um, and within that, working so many different types of roles. So I'm someone that directly meets with patients. And so that's that's a patient-facing role, direct patient care. Now, some of my friends and colleagues will work directly with genetic counselors. So as a genetic counselor, they're helping to educate other genetic counselors for like, say, testing that's new and available and understanding all the nuances of that and yeah. saying, okay, this is the pros and cons. This is the benefits, limitations of certain testing. Um, as genetic counselors have questions, they're like, hey, I got this report. I don't really understand this like section or something. Can you walk me through this? Um, and then there's genetic counselors in research, you know, um, that we mentioned. So researching in any of these areas I mentioned or others, there's genetic counselors that are, you know, more focused on educating 
not just other genetic counselors, but other healthcare providers. So doctors, mm. nurses, nurse practitioners, um, all different types of people in healthcare that may be ordering genetic testing. Um, because it's not just genetic counselors ordering genetic testing. That that yep. would be a nightmare because there's there's only about <laughs> 5,000 of us in um, United States and Canada. I don't off the top of my head know about Australia. I got to add that to my uh, list of stats to have in my head. But you know, we're, we're a relatively new field. So mm -hmm. we've been around for about 50 years, which, you know, is That's considered baby. new in science. Yeah. yeah. Like we're a little, we're a baby, I th I'd say. Maybe we're like toddler child at this point, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting area. And what's, what's great, and obviously I'm biased, but what's great <laughs> about the field and, and as a career, like, Let's say, you know, I love my job. I've been doing this for two years. I graduated two years ago from grad school. But let's say in 10 years or something, I'm like, you know what? I really want to go into cancer. Mm. You know, I've done my time in prenatal. I really want to freshen things up and start doing meeting with cancer patients or people that have a family member that have passed away from cancer or recently diagnosed, something like that. I can do that because mm. my degree is in human genetics. So I can take that in a lot of different directions, which is yeah. also what I like, the, the flexibility in terms of, you know, I think I'm going to be very old when I retire because I just love working <laughs> and I love what I do, um, which thing. I'm very fortunate. Yeah, yeah, to be in that role. But, you know, there's just so many different opportunities, even being in these grad programs and, and teaching genetic counselors. I'm also a supervisor. Um, so I have genetic counseling students that rotate with me. Um, so there's just so many different angles of my job and role and you know then you throw podcasting on top of that and everything so <laughs> yeah exactly it needs to do absolutely lots keeping you busy so with all the genetic counseling work is it only people who have you know prior concerns because as you said example history or an actual condition who will come speak to you or is it something that more people who are just wanting to explore just want to check things out who will come to you because you hear about some of these conditions where they don't know about it until they have a kid and they go, oh, the kid's got it. One of us was a carrier. You know, it's one of these things where if you don't know what you don't know, you know, how, how do you start this process? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it definitely depends on a genetic counselor's role. So some genetic counselors will see patients if there's an indication, there's something that's bringing the patient in either their doctor referred them or they're a self-referral. Like they were like, hey, something's going on. I want to see a genetics professional. Mm -hmm. um, in my role, um, so I work at a private practice, um, OBGYN. So we have our obstetric side and we have our GYN side. And so I meet with all of the pregnant patients at our practice. And then if that's just part of our routine care, so I'm seeing a lot of people that have low-risk pregnancies and also some that have high-risk pregnancies because of, um, you know, we're a high-risk pregnancy center. Yeah. So the other side of that is during people's annual um, GYN visits, if mm -hmm. they mention, oh, I'm thinking about maybe trying to conceive soon, then, they, you know, the GYN will say, all right, on your way out, book an appointment with Kira so you can go over something called History. carrier screening that you're alluding to. Yeah, where we can do this genetic screening prior to someone actually conceiving um, mm. because we're looking at um, both biological parents' genetic information to see are they matching for a condition where 
their future pregnancies could inherit that. So that could be something like sickle cell, cystic fibrosis. There's a long list, hundreds of conditions that work in this way mm-hmm. where both parents need to be carriers of that. And usually you don't have any symptoms from being a carrier. So like you said, yeah, oftentimes people find out that they're a carrier of a condition because someone in the family has been diagnosed. And then that kind of leads everybody um, to start looking at that. Um, so I'm a little bit of a mixture, but a lot of genetic counselors, like let's say in the neurospace, they may just see patients that have a diagnosis of a neuro condition. Mm. So something like Parkinson's, um, you know, different conditions there, Alzheimer's, and they might explore genetic testing options to see like, oh, can we find a genetic cause specifically for this that maybe your family members want to be tested for? Um, so it's really all over the map. And I think it's more yeah. specialty dependent than anything. That's very interesting because, you know, as you're in prenatal, uh, I've had a child and, you know. At, yes, in the process, <laughs> you have a daughter, so, right? Yes, I do. So in the process for this, it's, it's you know, once you're, I think, 15 weeks, they get you to you know, give you the option to have the NIPD or the Harmony test so you can test for certain things. But it's that's kind of after the fact. So then you can, you know, talk about what's going to come. Whereas, you know, what you're doing is earlier intervention than that. You're trying to make sure that you're screening beforehand, which is interesting. It's an interesting way of approaching the way that you handle these things, especially because a lot of people have no idea what their genetics actually is going to involve other than something that presents with actual physical symptoms. So, yeah. Right. It's, yeah. It's cool. Yeah. And <laughs> it's and I explain to patients like I think of genetic conditions in two buckets one being the random conditions where it randomly happens. There's knowing family history is not going to really be helping in those cases because mm-hmm. it's just totally, we call that de novo, completely random. So you've got that bucket. Then the second bucket is inherited conditions. So like these, you know, uh, cystic fibrosis, sickle cell that I mentioned, and that's called autosomal recessive inheritance where both biologic parents are carriers. Yep. So the um, the NIPS test that you mentioned, non-invasive prenatal screening testing, that's the generic name. And then you got all the different brand names like Harmony that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so and I actually I have a bunch of tests behind me because <laughs> I'm in my office here. Um, yep. So for that, for those are the random conditions. So mm-hmm. in order to look for that, you do have to be pregnant. Um, yeah. And it's. It's so cool. I want to nerd out for a moment on how this test works. Go for it. So <laughs> in a pregnant person, the their, from their placenta, it naturally releases cells. Mm-hmm. And then it floats in your bloodstream. Those cells tend to pop open and then release their DNA. So you've got what's called cell-free DNA in your bloodstream. So by taking a normal, typical blood draw... We send that tube or two tubes off to the lab, and then they're able to um, – there's a couple different ways of doing it. One way is basically isolating that fetal DNA, which is really placental DNA, if we're getting mm-hmm. particular, and look for do we see any extra chromosome conditions. So something like, say, Down syndrome, where people that have Down syndrome have an extra chromosome number 21. So you and I have two copies of that chromosome. People with Down syndrome have three copies. So that's something that randomly happens. I'll say it's very rare there is an inherited form, but that's only like 4% of uh, people with Down syndrome. So 
vast majority of cases, it's random. So that's not something we can test for really ahead yeah. of time, but the carrier screening is. Um, so it's great. Like my ideal setup is when patients are at their GYN appointment, they're like, oh, I'm thinking about having kids soon or like trying. And then they meet with me, say the next day, the next week. We do the carrier screening, learn that information so that then they can decide, okay, are we going to try to conceive naturally? Do we want to do IVF so we can screen these embryos and then maybe implant an embryo that will not have a certain condition? Um, and then once they're pregnant, then meet with me again, and then we get to do the test you were talking about, the NIPS, yes. um, the cell-free DNA. Um, so those are kind of the two main tests that I, I talk about with every single patient. That is very cool. And, and yeah, it's interesting that you've broken it down to these two categories because people don't really think about it in that way. It's like genetics is and that's, it's on and off. And that's the way that people approach it. It's like, well, yeah, but it's conditional. There's different types. There's different things and outcomes. And, you know, there's so many different permutations because it's DNA. And that's very, very cool. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I think I think part of it is like people hear genetic and they just think inherited. Mm. And, and that makes sense. Like when we talk about our genetics and like, yes, you are a combination of a sperm and an egg and the genetics that came from that. But sometimes we have these random things that happen and that's how evolution happens and everything. Um, but it is important to think like, okay, there's like inherited parts of genetics and then there's random parts. Um, yeah. And that's what's, you know, creates the beautiful diversity of humans. It's just having a combination of those two. That is very cool. Okay, side topic, because I only just thought about this now. I have done zero research on it. Um, the 23andMe ancestry blood tests, and they've got these pretty little graphs that say you are genetically predisposed to waking up at 7 a.m. How does that work? Is that legit? <laughs> yes, that is a great question. So for these, we call them direct consumer kits, so DTCs. And yep. this is where you basically, um, you spit into a tube and you send it off to 23andMe, Ancestry. There's loads of different tests nowadays. Um, and then they're looking at kind of two categories of information. The medical health education, interesting side yep. um, that you're mentioning. And then the other side I would say is Ancestry. Yeah. So the Ancestry side is pretty good for people of European descent. Yeah. It is not great for people of non-European descent. Mm -hmm. So I have most, using myself as an example, um, I have mostly Polish, Irish, English, that kind of background. Um, and that's been the family stories growing up. Oh, okay. We're from, you know, Cork, Ireland is, is my uh, paternal grandfather. Um, and so I was kind of like, hmm, let me do the test and actually see if that's true, right? So do the test. And yes, East, East Cork, Ireland specifically, a little bit of wow, Central Cork very as well. Um, but that's, that's how specific it gets. Like talking about different counties. Um, and mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this really lines up because I didn't tell 23andMe, oh, my grandpa says I'm from Cork. And so they, yeah. they you know, did that. So for me, because I'm European ancestry, it can get as specific as that. Now, if I had ancestry from different areas of the world, it's not going to be as specific. So it's going to give you more regions and not you're from this town, you're from this county. Um, so there's a big discrepancy there that is slowly being addressed in genetics. I wish it was being addressed faster. Mm. Um, and this bleeds into even the other side that you're talking about, too, of that 
interesting side because it's like, I don't know, I want to call it medical, but then I'm like, oh, no, no. Um, <laughs> so on this side of like, you know, are you sensitive to caffeine, right? I, I've done a lot of these tests and it's like, you're very sensitive to caffeine. I'm like, yes, yes, I am. You got that correct. Um, you know, I have, I have a cup and I'm good for the day. <laughs> now, other things, um, I'm trying to think of other things on there. Um, there's been other ones that I'm like, this is not true. Yeah. And I'm like, like so it's, that you, it's you're likely mix. to wake up at this time or. Right. Uh, yeah. I like can't, I can't remember what my results were for that. that can go up then more than the other one. And it's just weird little right. things. Yeah. Like lot, lots of weird things. And, and basically how they're figuring this out or making, making a guess, an educated guess, I think is the best way to phrase it. So what they're doing is they're looking at your genetics but they're looking at specific points on your genetics. They're not reading through all of your genetics. That would be called a whole genome sequencing. You're sequencing, yep. you're like spelling out all your genetics, all the letters. What they're doing is they're looking at hotspots and mm -hmm. saying, we've noticed that people that have a certain letter at that hotspot tend to be caffeine dependent or tend to want to be, you know, waking up early. Um, you know, lots of different aspects there. Their metabolism tends to be faster. Um, so all of these things that I've seen, and sometimes that's based off of one letter. And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, but there's lots of factors that play a role in this, right? Like how for the caffeine dependence, or, or just like if you're you're affected by it, well, how, how much caffeine have you had in your life? What's your tolerance level, right? Because yeah. even that can change within your life. Like I've been mm -hmm. a little bit more caffeine dependent this summer because I've just been more busy and I'm like, all right, early morning, got to do the caffeine. And other times in life, I'm like not drinking caffeine. So even like yeah. that's going to differ. Um, so if they're basing it off of just one letter in your genome, yep. it's like, okay, that's one factor of a lot, right? That's one piece of a thousand piece puzzle. So is it somewhat backed <laughs> a little i think it's better when we take everything into account now if it's something that they say we look at 50 hot spots and not just one or two that's going to have a little bit more evidence behind it yeah. um so when we're doing that that's called polygenic risk scores and like looking at that because polygenic poly many genic genes mm -hmm. so we're looking at many genes to say okay now, what are we saying your risk is for, you know, now in the medical space more like, say, developing heart disease? There's lots that go into that, right? It's not yeah. just one like, oh, do you have the gene for it or not, right? Um, or you have the mutation for it, I should say. Um, it's, it's, you have to look at a lot. Like, okay, what's your lifestyle like? What's your diet, exercise? What's your family history like? Um, so it's like, oftentimes, genetics is a part of the answer. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's completely the answer. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because of what you were saying with the way that they were very accurate with European, you know, part of that's going to be because more medicines done by European people in history. Exactly. So they're going to have all the data and the research in these specific areas. And part of it is, which, you know, we started to establish when they were opening testing, oh, sorry, uh, collection centers around the world. It's because they don't have enough data. So, you know, exactly. they were they lower the prices for the demographics they need more numbers for so they don't have a lot of asians they need a lot of more asians but then you end up having this very vague kind of pool of information and my sister's done the test we have certain 
suspicions, educated guesses that we've made about our family history. And my sister's text ancestry didn't really show any of what we suspected. And we're kind of doubtful of that. So I'm tempted to do the other test and kind of like cross-reference and see what happens. Because, you know, we're aware that the data is quite lean for our uh, genetic history. So Yeah, and I yeah. think that's a great idea to do multiple because I've done multiple and it differs a little bit. Some say I'm a little bit more like British than Irish, whatever. And I think another aspect that people are like, you know, curious about or like something that comes up and I know when one of my family members did it came up like 1% Asian and very very general right and so my family was like so surprised by this and I was like honestly like look back in six months it will probably disappear yeah our ancestry is not changing that has happened right (laughs) that we can't change that now our understanding of the data changes so over time Basically, we say, okay, these little hot spots, putting them all together, and they look at lots and lots of these. I, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I, I would guess hundreds to thousands, probably in that area. I don't, I don't know. But so the more they understand of saying, okay, the combination of mine, they're like, okay, people from Cork, Ireland tend to have this. So that's how they're tracing it. Mm-hmm. So with that, what with my family coming back, you know, and, and this was like my grandmother's sister. So pr- pretty far out for me. Um, that's, I think, like a third degree relative or something. So um, for that, it's like, OK, well, they could be da- basing it off one data point and they may reanalyze that and say, oh, actually, that data point doesn't line up with ancestry from Asia in general. Now we're understanding, oh, maybe that was more Russia. Right. So then yeah. we'll look back. We haven't changed, but our understanding of genetics changes over time. So your genetics don't change over your life, but Mm -hmm. the way we can figure it out changes as we have more data, as you said, Michelle. And that's one of the things I find really fascinating because one of my friends has, you know, 23 and me and the data changes, the little bits of criteria and bits of information that they get, get more refined or they go away and things just come and go just as more data comes in to be able to feed into the machine that they determine, you know, what this all means. It's very cool and still vague, but very cool. <laughs> yeah. So podcasting, we're just running through the topics here. Podcasting, yeah, you've been doing it. this for like <laughs> 10 years, but how did you get yeah. into it? So, you know, it was a similar time for me in, in high school. I, um, so the, fir- the first time I listened to a podcast was like 2008. And so I was going on a family trip for reference. I'm in like eighth grade-ish. And first time going on a plane, I'm like, how am I going to entertain myself? There, there's no internet up there. So I was like, okay, I want to type Harry Potter into like, um, you know, back then it was iTunes and see what comes up. Maybe there's something, some kind of video or whatever. Right. And so I see this thing called MuggleCast and I was like, <laughs> okay, what is this? Like, that sounds interesting. And then I see it's like an audio file. That's like an hour and a half long. I'm like, who would ever listen to an audio file that's an hour and a half long? Like you listen to something for like a minute, two minutes, like a song or something, right? And so I was like, whatever, I'll download it. I won't listen to it, whatever. I'm bored on a plane. <laughs> I I hit play and I don't know how familiar you are with Harry Potter and everything. Yeah. Um, so I hit play and it's Hedwig's theme on an electric guitar. And I was like, this is cool. You know, the nerd in me is like, this is awesome. So, um, you know, playing this and it's basically these kids that are like five years older than me just talking about Harry Potter. 
and, you know, diving through the series and analyzing the books and the chapters and going through the news and what movies are coming out and everything. And I was like, this is so cool. I want to do something like this. Once I found out they're only a few years older than me, um, I was like, okay, (laughs) maybe, maybe I could try this. I don't know. Um, So I started it, you know, Harry Potter was covered. So I started with a Hunger Games series um, because I was really into the series. I still, you know, love it. Um, And so started with that, kind of figured out podcasting. And then after about a year, I started DNA Today, which is my genetics show. Um, so cool. now we're, we're celebrating 10 years of that um, uh, on September amazing. 1st. So very exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just wild that it's been 10 years. Um, yeah. But for me, it was, you know, starting the genetics show was a way of exploring genetics and having people take me, not hopefully seriously, but people even just taking interviews because, you know, I was 17 at the time. Back then, especially people were like, why does the 17 year old want to talk to me about my, my career, my job? Like, that's just, you know, a little weird. Um, But if I said, (laughs) Hey, I want to interview you for my podcast, that got my foot in the door. So I really, it started out as a way of like, I want to learn about genetic careers. I want to figure out what's available to me and maybe people will listen and follow along with my journey and maybe it will just be something that allows me to talk to all these people so i was like no matter what it's gonna be a great experience um i never dreamed it would turn into a business i've got five other team members um so it's it's just really grown we've won a couple podcast awards we have over 35 sponsors so it's just honestly been a dream come true and it's it's really cool that I started it when I was like, I think I want to be a genetic counselor. And now here I am 10 years later, like doing it. Um, yes. So it's just been awesome to do so many fantastic interviews. And and the episodes are short. They're about half hour. So I try to keep it short and sweet for people because sometimes we do dive into, um, you know, certain specific genetic topics. I try to keep it understandable for anybody that wants to tune in and listen. Um, but it's it's just been uh, quite quite a journey. And and I mentioned earlier, like Down syndrome as an example, um, this year we had, I don't know if you've seen the um, Fox TV show, the American show Glee. Um, yeah. So uh, one of the actresses on there, Lauren Potter, who plays Becky Jackson that has Down syndrome, she came on the show and just shared oh, nice. about, you know, her experience in life, having Down syndrome, being an advocate, um, you know, her time on Glee, working with Jane Lynch, um, who's just a phenomenal actress. Um, so it's just been really cool to just hear from people that are, you know, coming from all of these different walks of life, whether they have a genetic condition or they're working in the field or they're, they're doing research, their child has a condition that they're advocating and raising money for. Um, there's just so much to learn about in the field and I'm just constantly learning, which is my happy place. (laughs) Yes. Uh, pretty much how I feel about doing Steampart as well, because yeah, yeah I, I just love learning about what people do. I think it's fascinating. I think everyone's doing very cool jobs that are different from mine. And it's like, how do I approach people? Hang on. I want to do a podcast. If I have a podcast, then I have a reason to talk to people. Right. I've never exactly. That was my reason to start. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like, yeah, I'll, I'd love to talk to you about this because it's fascinating. And you know, at, at first I thought it was like, no one will talk to me. I've got no clout. Nobody knows who I am. I'm just some rando. And one of the first, like in the first year, I was so surprised that quite a few of the people I approached were like, why do you want to talk to me? I'm really 
boring. The stuff that I do right? is really Everybody boring. has this like imposter syndrome of like, wait, you want to interview me? And it's just like, yeah, you're a cool person. You do cool stuff that I want to learn about. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, but I want to know what you do. What you do sounds great. I would love to know more. Please talk my ear off. I'm quite happy to do that. And what's the kicker after about three quarters of the year? You've interviewed people who are so much more accomplished than I am, who have achieved so much more than I have. It's like, you do realize about a third of them just said the same thing you did. So it's like, mm. <laughs> Need to get them all in a room and be like, just so you know, y'all said this about each other. So just, you know, take the compliments. <laughs> exactly. It, it's just one of those. It's like, okay, I, I kind of feel better now. I feel, I have more perspective about my own imposter syndrome. This is wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's such a great journey, podcasting. Like, it, it's not something I considered doing before. And it's just such a great way to connect with people and learn about what they do, especially if you're interested in what they do. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's such a great way of networking. And, you know, as I grow into myself and my career, like, I do, I realize how important networking is. And it's just fantastic when you can hop on a call with someone and, you know, small talk is great, whatever, but you get into things and you just dive in deep and you may only spend half hour, an hour with that person, but it's such a quality conversation that it is. you can go back to that person six months, year later and say, hey, I remember you mentioned that, like that person, could you introduce me because of X, Y, Z and let me mm -hmm. know if there's anyone in my network I can introduce you to. And it's Absolutely. like, you just never know where things go. I mean, in my own career, because I started podcasting before I had like any kind of paid job other than like babysitting kind of thing. Um, podcasting, I think, has led to every single job I've had. And somehow I've had like lots of jobs. Like at one point in college, I like had four jobs and I was just like, well, what am I doing? Like, this is crazy because I'm just so passionate about so many things. that I was just like really wanted to do a lot. Um, but like everything that I've had has come from the podcast um, yeah. Even my salary job here, um, you know, I worked directly basically for one doctor that owns this private practice and and he had listened to the show and knew that I was graduating soon. And he was like, any chance you want to come to interview here? And I was like, uh, yes, I would love that. Um, and when I was here, he's basically just like, I just wanted to see that you were the person on the podcast, like the job <laughs> is yours. You know, there's a little bit more to it, but, you know, and I was just like, wow, podcasting is so powerful because especially when people listen to you, it's like they feel like they really know you like podcasters mm. that I listen to, like in my mind, we're friends. They may not know <laughs> I exist, but I'm like, I know so much about them. I've been listening to them for like, you know, I, I mentioned MuggleCast, um, you know, uh, some of the podcasters on there, Andrew Sims, Laura T, like they I've been listening to them since I was held or you in eighth grade, like 13. So, yeah. you know, and I'm 27 now. So like, that's pretty much half my life. I've been listening to them and, and they do know who I am, which is, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, I, I got to be on one of their shows uh, a couple months ago, nice. but, um, you know, it's like you, you develop that relationship with hosts mm. and you really learn to trust them. And I think having that trust with an audience is, is something that's very hard to achieve in other mediums, like mm. blog posts, um, you know, even just short form videos. Like when you're, when it's a podcast and you could be doing very just like mundane, but intimate things in your life, you're like, you know, driving to work, you're, you're washing dishes, you're like doing whatever you do. And they're just a part of your life. And yeah. I think that there's just something so powerful about the way that podcasting works. And sometimes even just we do produce our show as a, a video show as well. 
but like I don't know I'm always just like uh, the audio I'm like kind of a purist when it comes to podcasting like to me <laughs> that's the podcast you know um yeah. but yeah it's just it's such a great way to connect with people I definitely agree with you Michelle it is and you know it's it's amazing because they're running a podcast they're talking about something they're passionate about so you're actually learning about them through their passions you may not know anything about them but you know what they're passionate about and that's where the connection comes yeah yes definitely absolutely so speaking of passions why is Psycom so important to you? Oh, man. I think it's just, it's so important for people to be able to be their own patient advocate. And the only way that they're going to be able to advocate for themselves or their child or, you know, another loved one is having information. And so I find it so important to be able to provide people with free, understandable, and accurate information. So that's something that, you know, I've certainly been able to do on DNA Today. And I think it's just so important for people to have these resources. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as long as you speak English and you have somewhat of a maybe like high school education, then you should be able to learn from my show. And yeah. I want to empower people so that they're able to do this because no matter where you're living in the world telehealth has changed the game um mm -hmm. you know and we've had this for a while but covid really pushed telehealth so that no matter where you are if you have an internet connection or if you can do a phone call then you can get access to care um mm -hmm. you know there's the whole obviously the financial side and insurance but um i think it's just great for people to understand this so that they can make informed decisions about their health and you know as we kind of alluded to at the beginning of the show prevention is not only cheaper, but there's just so many other levels to it of, you know, the emotional side, um, you, you know, the physical side of just, yeah, of having options, I think, in, in, in so many different areas, um, you know, even cancer. So, you know, you mm -hmm. mentioned like 23andMe. One of the medical side of the information, the health side, I think is what they call it, um, on there is looking at a gene called BRCA. And so they look at a couple different um, mutations, we call them pathogenic variants, um, mm -hmm. to see, okay, do you have one of the most common three? So it's great people do this. If they find out they have one, then they, they could get, maybe that's what brings them to a healthcare provider and they never would have before. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know someone that is a little bit younger than me. So she's like, you know, gen, like, you know, older side of Gen Z, I guess, like, uh, early mid twenties. And she did this test for, she's adopted. So she wanted to learn more about her ancestry as we were talking about. And she discovered she had one of these mutations, went to her doctor and actually found like, wow, you have early stage breast cancer, which is, wow. is very unheard of in your twenties. So yeah. if she didn't do this test, that never would have happened. So she I never think would it's have just so important. Yeah. She never would have, right? Like mm. I'm 27. I've never had a mammogram. I've never had a reason to do that. You usually don't start that until like your mid 30s, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not in the cancer space. I'm kind of kind of trying to remember <laughs> this, but um, so it's so important that she had that information to go because it mm -hmm. saved her life. Like she says, like 23 me saved my life, and she's Absolutely. and I'm like, yeah, it kind of did, right? Yeah. Um, but then I think it's also important, kind of still going with this 23andMe example, for people that do the test and it says negative, they don't have a mutation in BRCA. That's not actually true. It's looking at three common genes. 
So, you know, my, my friend that I'm referring to, she is of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. So it's likely if she's going to have one of the mutations, it's going to be one of those three because that's what's common in the Jewish population. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're not Jewish, then it's less likely you're going to have one of those three. And 23andMe is only looking for those three. So what about the hundreds of other mutations that you could have? Now you yeah. think you're negative. You're only negative for those three changes, not That's the right. other set. It's just of the absence hundreds. of those ones, but not the presence of the exactly. others. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important for people to understand all these nuances and like the the limitations of testing. What did the test actually do? What did it not do? Mm-hmm. So that you understand and you can go to your doctor and say, oh yeah, I did 23andMe, you know, came back negative for the BRCA, but it only looks for those three variants. So like, should I do the rest of the testing? That's yeah. going to be a much different conversation than telling your doctor, oh, I'm negative for BRCA, because maybe your doctor's just thinking, oh, they had what we call medical grade testing. Yes. Which is when you do it through like a provider Pathology. of some yeah, kind. Yeah. Yeah. Versus you order it yourself, you pick it up at Target or whatever, you spit in it and you set it off yourself. No doctor is directly involved in the ordering process. Mm-hmm. So that I think is just like knowing and understanding enough to be able to go in to know your resources in the right healthcare provider so that they can then take it from there. I think yeah. that's what's so important in terms of people's own health. And then there's the whole angle of science is cool. People should go into, you know, steam fields and everything um, because it's just an awesome opportunity. Um, so that's the other part of it, right? Where yeah. I'm kind of like selling the career. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it, yeah, it is just one of those things where it's making it more accessible so people are thinking about it more. They're a bit more aware of it in a very specific way as opposed to this nebulous, it's just what we do at school and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. It's way more than that. Yeah. Because even Absolutely. if you don't go into these fields, biology is still going to come up for you for the rest of your life. Yes. Doctor's appointments, just to understand basics. And it's helpful to just know certain terminology so that you can if something comes up, you get a diagnosis, you can start researching that on your own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always recommend people start those conversations with their provider so they can have some context because sometimes when you Google things, it's the most extreme cases that come up. So I think that's yep. always good to keep in mind. Um, but once you have that understanding from your provider, then you can say, okay, now I know a little bit more of this. I know some of the terms. Now let me go over to like PubMed, something like that and say, now I want to dive in deeper. Like, is there other cases? Is there any clinical trials? Start looking at that, something that's available for you or or your loved one. Um, so it's just, you know, being educated and knowledge, knowledgeable, that is power and being able to then act on that and just understand all of this. Or exactly. what, what you need to in your own space. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's such a, an important thing to be able to just keep those doors open so that people know that they can empower themselves to keep looking. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Ah, so now, since I know that you have to get going soon, let's get to the other soft questions. So right. what hobby or interest do you have that's most unrelated to your field of work? Ah, most unrelated. That's tough. I feel like it's all related. But um, <laughs> I would say um, probably kayaking. Love kayaking. Ooh, um, nice. So that's kind of my, uh, you know, spring, summer, fall activity. Um, I recently got a um, kayak that folds up. So it actually just stays oh, wow. under my couch. Nice. And then I, it's like origami. You kind of just like fold it and then you throw it in the water and go. Um, that's so that's cool. kind of been fun. 
Um, I have a couple other kayaks, but uh, those live at my parents because they would take up a big chunk of my apartment. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, but cool. I love that. Being out in the water, um, you know, I, I go with my brother a lot that we go kayaking. Sometimes, you know, I go and listen to a podcast or an audiobook or something. But yeah, usually I'm just with my family kayaking in the summer. Um, just love being on the lake. Yeah, that is a very cool activity. Nice way to chill. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Yeah. Cool. And what childhood book holds the strongest memories for you? Ah, oh, I think I already gave my answer away yeah. on this one. Harry Potter, definitely. I mean, I don't know if that's that's you know that's a series, um, but no, honestly, pick at, pick any of them. Um, my mom actually read the entire series aloud to my brother and I using oh, different wow. voices and everything. So, I mean, Harry Potter basically was my childhood. Um, nice. So I was kind of the perfect age to grow up with the series and yeah. um you know the the trio the main actors dan emma and rupert they're they're about you know five years ish older than me so yeah. kind of like that perfect role model um age gap um so yeah harry potter holds a very special place in my heart even though i was like a little old when you know the sixth and seventh <laughs> book came out that i'm like are we still doing this is mom reading out loud to us i'm like we gotta finish it this was you know we started you know i think i yeah, it was tradition. I think we started reading them in like 2001 or something like that. She started reading them aloud to us, maybe 2002. Um, so yeah, we kind of just had to keep it going. But that's definitely when I think favorite memories from childhood. Those are very high on the list. Yeah. Very, very, very cool. Okay. And lastly, what advice would you give someone who'd like to do what you do? And what advice should they ignore? Ooh, I like that second part. Um, so advice, I would say definitely go shadow someone and hopefully get an internship um if you can't do one of those things just ask to meet with someone um you know as i said buy them a coffee even a virtual coffee um where you just send them like a five dollar starbucks gift card or something um <laughs> chat with them on zoom for a little while and just ask them about their job ask them what they don't like about their job too i yes. think that's really important. So important um and if they tell you paperwork say okay what else because everybody hates paperwork. everyone hates so <laughs> you know yeah so you know, I think that's that's part of it. And and I think a good way of like finding those opportunities, um, you know, I tell a lot of students and listeners of mine, like if you're interested in genetic counseling, genetics, my advice is to go on um, the National Organizations for Rare Disorders, NORD, N-O-R-D, you just Google that. Um, and it's basically a hub for rare diseases. Most rare diseases are genetic. Um, so if you look at all these different organizations, something that, you know, sparks your interest, contact them and say, Hey, I have some time. I'm a high schooler. I'm in college. I would love to give you five hours a week to help with your social media. You will learn from them. And, you know, if you're in high school, college, you're Gen Z, you know how social media works. <laughs> these might be older people that can't figure it out. And so you'll be a perfect match for each other. Um, and what's five hours a week? If you can fit that in, um, they might even be able to pay you. But if not, I think giving them five hours a week, um, especially if it's like on demand your own time as you're just watching Netflix and you can yeah. just like, you know, work on some social media, um, you'll learn about the condition. You'll start meeting people. Um even just writing social media, I think can be yeah, you get very to learn from that content. powerful. Yeah. Like you're learning about the disorder. You're learning about the terminology. Um, I think it's such a great way to get your foot in the door. And there's so many, there's 7,000 rare diseases. So there's so, I don't think there's necessarily an organization for each one yet at this point, but the list is very much growing. They need help. Um, so I would start there. Um, yeah. And 
who knows where that could lead. Um, Absolutely. You know, I started, I had an internship directly with Nord because they're actually um, in the ta- in the next to my hometown. So they were like 15 minutes from my parents' house. And I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> so yeah. um, that totally worked out for me. Um, and then your second part of the question, mm-hmm. um, what advice would I not give? Um, I have to think about that for a second. Um, I would say if you're someone that, you wouldn't describe yourself as book smart. Do mm-hmm. not count yourself out in terms of being, you know, pursuing these types of careers in genetics. I don't consider myself book smart. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I, I tried really hard in high school. I had pretty good grades in high school, but then once I got to college, it was hard. Chemistry, pre-calculus, though that definitely brought my GPA down. My GPA by the time I graduated was like 3.2. So it was fine, but it wasn't like, wow, like 3.9, 4.0. Yeah. So I don't know if that translates in Australia, I'm realizing. I'm like, yeah. is that similar? It's okay. a different system, um, but the idea is the same where, you know, if you end up getting just low grades, but you still pass, it's like, yeah, it's not the best, but, you know, unless people right. are looking at your transcript. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I think a 3-2 um, maybe like averages out to be maybe like a B plus or something. So like Mm -hmm. my genetic classes, I did really well in, but these math heavy courses, I did not do well in. And so that really brought, you know, my, my, um, grade point average is what a GPA is. Mm -hmm. Um, so that brought that down. Um, but I still got into my dream grad school. Mm -hmm. And I think what was important about that was, my experience and exposures to the field were really good. So yeah. obviously through the podcast, um, I also shadowed genetic counselors for a couple summers. I was uh, worked myself up to a communications lead at a genetic counseling company. So all of that, I think, in my personal statement, my recommendations letters, those were my strong suits. My grades were fine, but they weren't my selling point. Yes. Um, you do not need to be a brainiac to go into genetics. Mm-hmm. You do not need to be good at math to go into genetics. Because if those were the cases, I wouldn't be in this career. I wouldn't have made it. So, <laughs> you know, I think if you are passionate, that can compensate for if you're not super, super smart, everything comes easy to you. I had to study 10 times, I don't know, maybe I'm being extreme, but I had to study much harder than my peers to get even similar grades to them. Uh, You know, really realized that when I was living with roommates that did not study as much as me and they got the same grades. Um, So, you know, I think it's really more about, are you passionate about this? Are you really excited about it? And are you ready to constantly learn and push yourself to know like, once you know resources, you can do it, right? You don't need to like know how to do basic math. You have a calculator, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's more about learning your resources and how to find them. Um, so I, I would hate to hear people don't pursue this because they've been told in the past, oh, your grades aren't that good. Don't don't try. Yeah, Do it. Try. Absolutely. Just give it a go. And there's always other avenues exactly. to get to where you need to be. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a couple rounds to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, some of the best genetic counselors I know they did not get in on their first round. When I was applying, the so this was like four years ago, um, I was applying in 2017 for grad school and I the acceptance rate was about 31%. Mm-hmm. So of all the people that applied, 31% actually matched with a program. And it's more competitive now. It's probably more like 28% now or something, I'm kind of guessing. But yeah. um, it's competitive. But don't be discouraged. Mm-hmm. Go go for another year. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people match on their second year. That's awesome. It's good to know. 
Fantastic. So, yeah, wrapping up now. This year, gotta go. So, thank you so much, Kira, for speaking with me today on CPART. It has been amazing learning about your journey and how passionate you are about genetics and genetic counseling. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michelle. Yeah, it's it's just absolutely amazing. And I totally could keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if people want to know more about what you do and yeah, where can they go? Yes, you guys can head over to dnatoday.com. You can also, wherever you're listening to this, I'm sure we're also listed. So you can search DNA Today. We're the green logo. Um, And we've got over, uh, you know, depending on when this episode comes out, uh, (laughs) we've got nearly 200 episodes. um, And, you know, 10 10 years. um, If there's a topic that we haven't covered that you want to hear about, you know, let me know. There's a contact form on the website there. Um, and would love if you guys listen to rate and review the show. Also, if you haven't rate and reviewed Steam po- Steam podcast here, uh, what are you doing? Please do that. Amazing. Um, Thank you. So yeah. <laughs> um, so that is the best way to support podcasts in a free, easy way. Um, it helps us all climb up in the charts and just have more people discover the show. Um, so yeah, dnatoday.com is, is your hub. Thank you. And yeah, definitely appreciate this freak. Need it. <laughs> Okay. Yes, right? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kira. It's been amazing speaking with you today, and I hope you have an amazing day. Yeah, you too. It was a great way to start my day and, and hopefully end yours over there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Cool. Thank you. I've loved speaking with Kira about genetic counseling and some of the nuances of genetics. Because in context, it's the kind of knowledge that can empower us and give us options when it comes to better understanding our personal health. To learn more about Kira and what we discuss in the show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steampowered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find out more about Kira and DNA Today at dnapodcast.com, the link for which will be in the show notes. If you enjoy this conversation, please let me know. Subscribe to the show, leave us a rating, and share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. You can also support Steampowered on Patreon and Ko-fi and the Steampowered Show, the links for which will also be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.